0: John the baptizer was evidently pretty thorough in discipling his followers, lest Jesus' followers would not have come to him and done this comparison in saying, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. You remember John stood as this prophetic voice in the wilderness there in the edge of the Jordan River speaking some pretty powerful things. You brood of snakes, he would say. That would get a people's attention, wouldn't it? And as he began to tell them who they were and what they needed, We hang on those words with such remembrance, but do you know that Luke squeezed all of that into about a half a chapter? That's about all we know about John. And we have an earlier telling of the nativity of his mother as she awaited his birth, Elizabeth and Zechariah as they were in expectation of his being born, but the context of his ministry is contained in about a half a chapter. We know nothing about what he taught his disciples to pray. Nothing. I wish I knew. That would be fascinating to know, wouldn't it? It would be fascinating to know whether he had some formulary approach to doing prayer, Or whether he was a quietist, someone who simply sat in the presence of the Lord and guided his followers to do the same. It may have been that he taught his followers to pray at certain times of the day. I don't know. I wish I knew the way in which John taught his disciples to pray. But it's not in here. Now what is here is the way in which Jesus taught his followers to pray. And that's what's just been read for us this morning, his instructions for prayer. And it's all pretty simple, isn't it? Interesting that Jesus keeps it all so simple, which was always his way From the very beginning, when he preached to the people, he did not seek to make it complicated at all. He said, in fact, when you do pray, don't think publicly here. Think privately so that when you pray, go off to yourself if there's a room in which you can enclose yourself all the much better. But let this be a conversation between you and God this Father who loves you. Because that's the way it was with Jesus, wasn't it? Just think about this just a minute. When he would slip away to pray, his disciples would see him at a distance and they would be drawn. It says that he was in a certain place. Do you remember where we were last year, last week with the scripture? We were talking about Jesus being in the home of of Martha and Mary. Well, if this is a geographical location, it would have been Bethany. And as we know, That was not too far of a stone's throw from the Mount of Olives and to this favorite place that Jesus went on a regular basis to be in prayer. How was it that Jesus prayed? He simply put himself in the presence of the Almighty. The disciples wanted some instruction And so when they asked for this teaching, this catechesis, it makes you think that maybe there was an oversight on Jesus' part to not have worked prayer into his curriculum. I'm thinking though, maybe Jesus knew all along how ready his disciples were for that part of his teaching and how... Unready they were before that moment. Have you ever really wanted something so badly that finally you were able to take it in because you were ready for it? When his disciples asked him, he knew at least there was the tiniest possibility that the seeds of prayer, true prayer, might be planted in their souls. Before that it would have just been it would have just been rubrics. You know how it is with us, don't you? We fall into the patterns of certain prayer styles. We teach our children to pray. We want them to get it right. We say kneel beside your bed at night, fold your hands, and we will pray together, and usually it's a prayer that they can easily remember and that we can say with them. But is that the way in which prayer has to be done? It's not, is it? In fact, there is great leeway when it comes to prayer. I'm convinced of it. People pray in all sorts of ways. And God smiles on it whenever we turn our hearts toward him. Jesus' catechesis on prayer, his teaching on prayer, first off is that it is simple. He gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. And if it's not simple, I don't know what is. Now, we make it into this memory device, this rote memory, but as we share together in this prayer. Lord, help us if we have forgotten what we're saying. Have you ever said the Lord's Prayer and gotten to the end of it and thought to yourself, what did I just say? It's possible to speak that prayer without any cognizance of its significance. I have been so pleased to, to be a part of a prayer group on Tuesday mornings, the Woody Powell prayer group, that has I cannot express to you how rich the fellowship is with that group of men around the table. It is it is just powerful. And I to me it is a blessing just to sit in their presence. But at the end of our time of fellowship and prayer, we close with the Lord's Prayer, but it is the tradition of that group to reach out and to hold hands. They all know it. When we get to the point when everyone has prayed around the circle and then we unite for the speaking of the Lord's Prayer, the praying of the Lord's Prayer, automatically The hands are extended, and we grasp hands around the table. Now, this is significant for me, and the group does not even know this and the connection that that had with me. But for years, during communion, and you'll remember how we shared communion together several weeks ago. Do you remember me saying to reach out and take the hand of your neighbor as we share together in our Lord's Prayer? That prayer is not an individual's prayer. It is is a corporate prayer, a congregational prayer. In fact, I wouldn't mind us doing that every Sunday in here when we pray the Lord's Prayer to connect up. And just that act of reaching out has the ability to make you more sensitive than ever to the words that you're speaking. It's a very simple word, a simple prayer. Father, give us this daily bread and forgive us our sins. As you know, we're already forgiving the sins of others. And do not put us in a situation where our faith is going to be really tried. <laughs> I have a feeling when Jesus spoke this prayer, he spoke it, spoke it with a smile because he knew so well who they were and what was on the road ahead. You remember he calls them who they are right here at the end. He says, if you then who are evil, evil, I mean, these are the disciples of the Lord. If you then are evil, he says to them, he knew who they were. They needed him to keep it simple, simple prayer. Second, with Jesus's emphasis is that you be persistent, persistent in prayer, persevere in prayer. Is that because you need to wear down God who's trying to keep things from you? No, it's because we need to wear down ourselves who do not understand the loving nature of God all around us in the world. Jesus uses this parable And says, you know what it's like when a friend comes and asks for something? If a friend comes and asks at midnight, I mean, that's stretching the bounds of friendship. And you know how that would be. It used to be that people came over and knocked on the door and would say, can I borrow a cup of sugar? Do any of you remember that happening? Or can I borrow a cup of flour? You know, do you you have this ingredient? I don't know that people do that anymore much, you know, because, because now the grocery stores are open all the time. I mean, you just run to the grocery store and get what you need. And it's a, it's a great loss in our culture for that not to happen to a certain degree because there are always some friends that push the edge, don't they? Showing up at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock when you're already in your pajamas, you know. Think about a friend who would show up at midnight, and what your reaction might be. I mean, it would be a little uneasy around the house. And that friend, Jesus says, if not for friendship, but just for expedience's sake to get you off his doorstep, Hands over what you're asking for. Don't you think that God is paying attention to what you're asking of Him? Now, that's a powerful thing. He couldn't have spoken that without a deep understanding of our lack of faith in prayer. Persistence is important. We moved here from Trinity and Warner Robbins Trinity Church, and there at Trinity, someone had come up with the idea a few years back to put a couple of vending machines in the church. I don't know; it's sort of uh, sometimes I wanted to kick the money changers over, you know, <laughs> in the temple. But it was they were in the, in the stairwells there, and they were pretty much out of sight. But but the money was for the use in building up the youth ministry. Now it's interesting because the machines would be loaded up with candy and crackers and all of that and then at the end of the month we would get some, some good assistance with our youth ministry except for the fact that one of the machines began to go missing candy bars that hadn't been paid for. And we thought to ourselves, how is this happening? And we looked the machine over. It looked completely normal. And then looking that machine over, up and down, and front and back and under, we found a coat hanger that had been stashed behind it. And we looked even closer and we thought to ourselves, okay, we know when this is happening and we know darn it that is the youth that are stealing these things we're trying to give them money and it's the youth that are stealing these pieces of candy and we 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 set up a camera to see if we could catch them (laughs) and and we waited but the youth were one step ahead of us because they found the camera and they just performed for us on the camera you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let me tell you, those were some persistent youth. I wanted to say, God bless them, because they they had a heart of persistence. Now, I'm, I'm not in the least suggesting that God is some kind of vending machine in the sky. That is the furthest thing from the truth. You know that. You know that. But persistence will pay off at a certain point, you know. It will. And it pays off in ways that you might not expect. I believe that we live in a world, a culture particularly, where people are suspicious of God's intentions. Bless her heart. Aunt Versi Waycaser, a member of a church past years, I would go and visit with her. Her mind was slipping. She would get her words all tangled up. I would speak with her about things godly. She wanted to talk about Jesus. She wanted to talk about God. And almost every time we got into some theological conversation, she would pause, this very pregnant pause, and she would say, she would say, Our God. Our God is so mischievous. She, she meant to say our God is mysterious, but she said our God is, is so mischievous. And, and I, I thought to myself, you know, inversely, there are a lot of people that would agree with you on that. They think God has always got something up his sleeve, always got something that he's about to pull on you, you know. Something that he's going to do that isn't going to come out to the good for you. But come on, you know, come on. You know God, don't you? In your heart, in your mind. And you've experienced the love of Christ, which is the greatest revelation of God in the world. God wants nothing else but to bless us with his love. So first thing is that Jesus says make prayer simple. Second thing is make prayer persistent. And then this third thing is so curious because he says here at the end, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, that is that if they ask for a fish, you're not going to give them a snake. If they ask for an egg, you're not going to give them a scorpion. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, who brought up the Holy Spirit? I mean, we weren't talking about the Holy Spirit. We were talking about prayer, right? I didn't bring up the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't bring up the Holy Spirit, not earlier in this occasion of His teaching. But here at the end, He brings up the Holy Spirit. That's not what the disciples were asking. We weren't asking Jesus how we might have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We were asking, if we pray for somebody that's sick, how might that person get better? If we have a need, how might we prompt God to bless us in our need? But Jesus sees through to our true longing for God in our lives. And he prays us through even when we can't pray ourselves through. The evidence of that is in the Garden of Gethsemane again at the end of Jesus' life here on this earth. When he was sweating droplets of blood and his disciples were doing what? Does anybody remember? Falling asleep. And he comes back to wake them up three times and gives up on the prospect of it all. You remember, you remember what he shared with them before ascending. He said to them, go and wait for me, and I will send my comforter to you. You see, all along, whatever our prayers, the real prayer of significance is, Lord, send your Holy Spirit, help me. Send your Holy Spirit. I like the way Anne Lamott puts it. She says there are really only two prayers that thrill her heart. And that is, help me, help me, help me. And thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Lord, fill us, your people, with a sense of your loving presence. That is what the Holy Spirit is all about ask seek knock that door will be opened to you amen